This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the Senior Editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. The Metropolitan Council for Educational Opportunity Program, fondly known as METCO to residents of the Boston metropolitan area, is a voluntary desegregation program. And it's been around for a very long period of time. It began in 1966 and will soon be celebrating its 53rd birthday. But recently, Elena Samuels, writing in The Atlantic, a liberal journal, tells the story of METCO in Belmont, one of the richest suburbs in the Boston area. Her story is a story of brave black children taking long bus rides and enduring racist slurs in an attempt to get a better education in a fancy suburb. Meanwhile, the rich families of Belmont resent and exaggerate the the program and exaggerate its cost to the community and fight against any METCO expansion. So the question arises, is Samuels in this article exaggerating? And if so, how has METCO survived? And what is in fact the real METCO story? So we're fortunate today to have on the Education Exchange, Charles Glenn, a professor of education policy emeritus at Boston University, and a person who has uh, closely followed the METCO program for a very long period of time, in the beginning as a state official with responsibilities for equal opportunity and desegregation in Massachusetts, and as a professor of education policy at Boston University. So, Charlie, it is good to have you with me on the Education Exchange. Thanks a lot, Paul. Well, Charlie, first tell me when and how your association with METCO began. Well, it's useful to go back behind the foundation of METCO because, in fact, it grew out of the agitation in the early 60s, which I was very much a part of. I was a community organizer then uh, that led to uh, passing the state racial imbalance law. It was around the issue of the segregation of the Boston schools. And METCO was responsible by suburban districts who felt that even though Boston was adamant against doing anything about segregation, they could help out by admitting some Boston black kids at that point. Now there are a lot of Latino and other kids involved as well. Admitting some Boston black kids into their vacant spaces in their suburban districts. Well, what districts participated? Was it was it all the districts in the metropolitan uh, area, or was no, it more limited? No, about forty than that? districts altogether, which four in the Springfield area. There's a separate program there, and roughly thirty-five in the Boston area. Some of them, Newton had about three hundred at its at its peak had about three hundred fifty Metco students. Others fewer, and. Some of the districts farther out obviously had smaller numbers and had longer bus rides. But when, um, when, when the program was funded by, by the state, which I think started in 66, um, at, at that point the state began to provide funding to suburban districts who agreed to take kids um, and to pay for transportation as well with the state funds to take uh, Boston students into their vacant seats. I began in the job in 1970. At that point, we had a strong expansion of the program so that uh, I was responsible for it for about 15 years. So how large did the program eventually become? Uh, eventually about 3,500 students. Well, now, if there's 40 districts in the Boston area, 3,500 3, students, yeah. uh, that's not 
that many for any particular district, then that sounds like more like 100, 150 right. students per, per district on In average. In many instances, a lot fewer, just a handful. And of course, some of the districts are only elementary districts, some are only high school districts, so that uh, confuses it somewhat. Right. So, so how do you assess METCO before we get into the sure. details? What's your general broad assessment? Has this been a major accomplishment in uh, uh, advancing equal opportunity for minority students? Well, I think METCO has been a great opportunity for those students participating in it. Um, there's a good book called The Other Boston Busing Story that followed up and interviewed former METCO students many years after they were in the program to find out how they assessed their experience and whether it had been a positive one. Generally, the response was very positive. Um, my, my objections have, have been more that I think it has, has been a diversion from addressing the much larger number of students who are left in the urban schools. Uh, when you have um, you know, demonstrations at the State House in support of more funding for METCO, uh, it's the only time you see the uh, leadership in the black community really rallying around supporting uh, legislation that would affect schools. And I would have liked, and I kept arguing, we needed to not have the focus be on the, on the maybe 5% of the black kids who ended up in METCO, but on the 95% who were left in the Boston schools. So why is there so much support for the 5% participating in METCO? Is, uh, who gets to participate in this well, program? Well, that's, that's uh, what I was very concerned about because there was, while they, they tout a long waiting list, at present they say there are 8,000 students on their waiting list, in fact, it is not ranked. And so, um, in fact, when a space opens up, students can be taken from any place on the waiting list and placed in a school, including in one of the more desirable districts like Brookline or Newton, which are close to Boston. And so I was very concerned when I was... Uh, so how, was, how can, don't you, know, you, whenever there's a waiting list, don't you just move up the waiting list <laughs> and the first come, first serve kind of principle You applies? would assume so, but this was an unranked waiting list, which meant that those with influence in the black community, generally the black middle class, were able to get their children into METCO. I, at one point, required METCO, Inc., the nonprofit organization that does the recruiting, uh, I, I required them to develop a map showing the location of every household of a METCO student. And it was very interesting that, that none of them were in the housing projects. They were all in the more middle-class, single-family areas of the city where the black middle-class lives. Now, I have nothing against the black middle-class children having good educational opportunities. I think it was a good educational opportunity for those kids. But as an equity issue, which is my responsibility for the state, I was always concerned that it was not sufficiently reaching the kids who were most needy. And but maybe it was because the suburban school districts wanted to make sure that the students who were arriving on the buses uh, would fit into the community, and therefore they wanted to make sure that they had a middle-class clientele that they were serving. So there was a, a coincidence of interest here between the black middle class and the white upper class 
that yeah, was in that this receiving districts. It might have been the case in, in some instances. And indeed, in some of the more affluent districts, almost all the Metco students ended up in special education, which was another concern of mine, that because they didn't really know how to deal with these kids, they tended to put them in these classes. Nonetheless, that said, the level of resources and the experience of being with children from highly articulate families and so forth had a positive effect on the Metco kids as all the follow-up studies have shown. So do we have evidence that it does lead to higher graduation rates, going on to college, graduating from college? Is there some solid evidence that uh, the program has those beneficial effects? Yeah, many years ago, David Armour did a study of this. This was in the early 70s. And of course, the book that I mentioned, I'm, my, my mind is blanking on the name of the author, but the other Boston Bussing story looks at, at the studies that have been done. And there have, have been positive studies about the results. I don't think it has been an oppressive experience for the, uh, the kids who were taking part in it. But I do worry about its effect on drawing attention away from the, the broader issue of the Boston schools in general, where, by the way, my own seven children all attended the Boston public schools because I felt that, that they should be in the Boston schools. I'm happy to report, though, that, that Metco Inc., the organization, is now proposing a new method of doing the assignments uh, in a way which will uh, remove my objections. I, I'm, I'm very pleased with what they're Also, oh, what is now. the new proposal? Well, it would be much the, like the system we set up for assignments under controlled choice within desegregating districts, Boston and Worcester and Springfield and other cities, which meant that all the parents who, who, who were registered uh, were treated as though they came on the same day with no preference for being the first in line or you know, having more information or anything like that. And then children assigned, assigned random numbers and then a computer uh, randomly selecting which would get the precedence for the available seats. And uh, that is a much better way of doing it than having a you know, file drawers full of, of, of names, which then the staff are able to, to forage among. Well, the author of the uh, article in The Atlantic, Samuel, says that, uh, yes, this is a proposal, but there's a lot of opposition to it on the part of those who are on the waiting list on the grounds that they have already been on that list for a long uh-huh. time, and, and now newcomers would be given the equal access. Is that... Has that argument been answered? Well, I, I think it's a real argument, but in fact, um, if they were aware of the fact that, that there are 8,000 on the waiting list, going to Metco Inc., only 300 are assigned each year, the likelihood is most of them will never get a Metco assignment in any case. So that uh, it um, has, to me, less persuasiveness than, than it might otherwise have. Also. As, as Metco Inc. leadership now is pointing out, because as with Eton and Harrow in England, uh, parents have been signing their child up the day they were born to be on the Metco waiting list, um, somebody moving to Boston was, had, had no chance at all because their child you know, was only three, three years old when they arrived and so no longer, no longer have that opportunity. 
No, I, I, I think it has been, in effect, a private school system for Boston's black middle class. Um, and again, I, I think... Well, how, why hasn't the yeah. program expanded? I mean, so if there's this well, large demand for it and a waiting list that that's that long, you said the program was about 3,500. Right. It's still about at that. I mean, it hasn't grown beyond the 3,000 or so number. What keeps right. it from growing? Well, one of the issues is is the willingness of suburban districts to uh, take additional students. Uh, the original premise was that that you could add two students to a classroom and there was really no additional expense. So we never paid the full cost of, uh, of well, per pupil the, the enrollment. Well, the state aid, it gives money to a school district on the basis on the number of pupils in the district, right? So if you mm. added these two students, you would be getting that much more in state aid, wouldn't you? Well, it, uh, not really, because if you're a district with a high property tax a value, uh, you get a very small proportion of state aid back, so that um, it's so also, every yeah. district is paying for most of its costs out of its own revenues, not well, from state uh, sources. I mean, that's that's the argument. If you add two students, there are arguably no additional costs. If you add three students, but you're nearly your contracted rate of of classroom size, you may have to add an additional teacher, a whole additional class, which adds a lot of expense. So it's 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 not as easy as thinking in terms of each student bringing with him or her a particular cost. Uh, we found certain districts like Brookline. Now again, in my day, this is many years ago now. Uh, Brookline was was very generous about accepting students without asking a lot of money. Other districts wanted the cash on the barrel head, so that it it led to in, inequitable payment to districts because in effect. I, I had to pay districts whatever they were asking in order to maintain the number of students. Well, $5,000 is the number that is mentioned in the Atlantic mm -hmm. article as the amount uh, about, about that number, is the amount that districts receive for each METCO student from the state as part of the Equal Opportunity Program, a part of the METCO program. So why couldn't the state just add to that 5,000, make it 10,000, and therefore make it more attractive to more uh, to districts. So where's the, where this, if this is a program that's been so effective, why isn't it expanding out? Why isn't the state willing to do more in this area? I, I have no idea, but, but I don't think it's as simple as that because the districts, suburban districts often are trying to shut down surplus schools and so forth. It's not not a simple matter of how many dollars are available. Um, I, I don't know whether districts are all getting a standard amount at this point. The reason I left, uh, I left Massachusetts government was I had gone up to the uh, legislature to testify against a bill that, that Bill Weld had, had filed, which was again an urban-suburban thing to let black and white kids both go to suburban districts. I felt the funding mechanism was highly inequitable to the urban districts. And I think the danger of monkeying, monkeying around with, with this again would be to undermine Boston and other urban districts um, and to put more resources in the suburbs. What I'd like, the, I'd like the support to be going to additional charter schools and additional options in the city 
and hopefully, as we were beginning to do in my days with the state, to attract suburban students into urban schools because of the quality of their program. Well, now this is a, um, a topic that's mentioned in the Atlantic article by uh, Samuel. She says that uh, now the attention is all being given to charter schools, which are uh, discriminatory and uh, 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 increase segregation instead of uh, providing for uh, equal opportunity and integration. So. Uh, you seem to be taking a different point of view on this. I am indeed. That's, that's of course, the teacher union line, that char charter schools are, are, in fact, increasing seg segregation. Uh, that's not, not the case in, in Boston, where only an infinitesimally small number of children are white. However, one of my grandsons, who is white, was recently admitted to a Boston school. Uh, but he's, he's on the waiting list for three other Boston schools, including the one that his mother went to. Um, the, the, uh, uh, I know I'm wandering off, off the point, but it seems to me that, uh, that we need to be finding ways of making Boston schools, including charter schools, more attractive to white suburban parents and to the white parents, the growing number of white parents in the city with small children who may move out of the city when their children reach school age, unless we come up with ways to make the Boston schools more attractive to them. So my urgency is, is more about that than it is about uh, you know, increasing the number of kids going to, to a suburban So you're district. not advocating a, an expanded METCO program, even though you say that students are benefiting from it and that there's a big demand for it? Why wouldn't it make sense to expand the size of the program? I know you're saying it could harm the Boston public school system, but then that's what they say about charter schools, yeah. that they're harming the Boston pu public school system by giving parents an opportunity, a, a choice, an option. Why wouldn't this make sense for, for METCO in the same way? Well, nobody's asking me, in other words, not as though I'm opposing METCO expansion, but, uh, but it seems to me that's a lower priority to me than finding ways of making the urban schools really attractive and effective, and, uh, and to do that in a way which, which also increases their possibility of being racially integrated. Um, I, I think to, to continue to send handfuls of kids out to a suburban district. Now, now Newton, let's say, would, would, would be a, an exception. There, there are, as I said, about 350 Metco kids, which means the district is forced to uh, make sure that it is educating those Metco kids effectively because they form a significant part of its enrollment. I don't know about Belmont, how many are in Belmont, but I think always the issue in the districts which have only a a small number of kids is there's sort of an afterthought. So that um, arguably if I were going to expand METCO, I would seek to have, have half a dozen districts which are really committed to effective education of those kids expand radically and not shoot out a handful to 30 other districts. Um, you who, know, it is a mystery though, this program, because on the one hand, it's one of the most enduring desegregation programs in American mm -hmm. education. 
has been around for 53 years. It still has broad public support. There's no, been no effort to eliminate it. But at the same time, there's been no effort to expand it. It's just sort of sitting there as yeah. a small elite program. Usually they say, grow or die. This one neither grows nor dies. What is going on here? Well, I did my doctoral dissertation here at the Harvard Graduate School of Education on the prospects for metropolitan desegregation in the Boston area. And my conclusion was there weren't any. <laughs> that, that, that suburban resistance would always keep the amount of actual racial diversity in suburban schools in general at a very small token level. Uh, I don't think that that's changed. Uh, now again, I, I'm not in the middle of the fight and have not been for 25 years, and so much may have changed, and I may be giving a So are you telling account, me that, but, that people right. want to appear to be tolerant and liberal right. and generous right. and, and uh, supportive of, of diversity, but they don't want it I at, at scale. They want it in right. small, convenient it. little packages. Right, and the exceptions are the Newtons and the Brooklines and the other districts which have been willing to really, really uh, make a serious commitment. So what do you see then, finally, as the future of METCO? Is it going to be do, do you project a future that is pretty much the same as the past, or do you see changes being made as a result of a move towards this sort of random admission process? Well, I, I would, I, I, don't, I don't have a crystal ball about that, um, but I do think that uh, um, uh, the new Metco leadership, and I don't know any of them personally, but they're making the right moves in the interest of being more equitable less a kind of exclusive club, uh, and that's very positive. Whether that will lead to willingness on the legislature's part to expend a lot more money um, is another question. It's it hard to know, you know, when, when uh, the demand now is for uh, billions of dollars more for schools, uh, and the issue is whether any accountability would, would go with those those dollars, uh, Metco is like an afterthought, and um, and it only gets attention because once a year, um, the Metco uh, crowd organizes people to come in and fill the uh, the the hall at the state house and talk about how how wonderful it is, and it is wonderful for those kids. But I would like to see um, ten times as much effort because that's how many more kids are involved put into. The, uh, the interests of, of the kids in Boston schools, particularly in Boston's excellent, excellent charter schools, which are providing really first-rate education in which kids are doing um, uh, extremely well on comparison with, with most suburban districts. Um, and the, the complaint that they are increasing segregation and so forth is totally bogus in my mind. Well, thank you, uh, Charlie. I've been speaking with Charles Glenn, Professor Emeritus at Boston University and a close observer of Boston's Metco desegregation program. Thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me every Monday at noon when our weekly podcast is released on the Education Next website.